don't worry about it. Oh. Mind. If you have any questions, you can come talk to me, and I will help you. <laughs> See? It'll, it'll, it'll never leave, buddy. Oh, dear. I'm going to be haunted by this for months. I know it. <laughs> I know it. Yeah. yeah. You're listening to Cinepunked, interactive discussions for film lovers. My name is Robert J.E. Simpson, and this episode I'm simply calling Patient Zero. Now, one of the things that we believe is very important here on Cinepunked is that where possible, we get talking to people who are either experts in the field or who have some first-hand experience of the films that we're discussing. Now, on the last edition, we um, were chatting about Tommy Wiseau's cult film, The Room, and it's a recent making of drama by James Franco, The Disaster Artist. And I, I thought actually we would carry on the conversation. And we are very lucky today to be joined uh, by phone from LA by actor, writer, filmmaker, Michael Risley. And uh, Michael has the unique distinction, uh, pretty much unique, of being one of those chaps who was there right at the very start of The Room's ascendancy to cult fandom. He was there in those early screenings in LA over a decade and a half ago, and uh, he's agreed to share with us his memories of that whole experience. Thanks, Michael, for agreeing to do this. Um, it's no fantastic. problem. I, I'm honoured. <laughs> it's uh, so you're actually our first official guest of this uh, of the podcast series as well, which is it's quite nice. So you're ah, I'm popping the cherry. Popping the cherry. Um, so hopefully, you know, I, I, like I thought it was worthwhile us chatting to to the man who ultimately is responsible, um, arguably for the fandom that has risen up around the room, which we we talked about on on our last podcast. Um, so you have been dubbed Patient yeah. Zero, and um, yeah, yeah, I, I kind of feel the world really needs to go to you for answers, don't they? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, all things room, uh, room consider, but yeah, don't come to me for any other answers. <laughs> oh, no. I only know I only know dumb movie trivia. That's all I know, <laughs> and dumb bad movies. So I'm I'm kind of interested in how this actually kind of it's progressed to becoming a worldwide phenomenon uh, in its own right, which it undoubtedly is. But you were there right at the start of those early screenings. Yeah. Um, I was there in 2003 at the, one of the very first screenings with uh, two of my best friends, uh, Scott uh, Gardner and David Nelson in an empty theater. Um, we, we, I saw that to step back, I saw the trailer in June um, before a movie, and it was the most ridiculous, out, like outlandish, like a crybaby, just screaming at the screen, and it didn't tell me anything. But all I knew is it was packed, filled with drama, <laughs> and uh, and then it just ended. And I, was like, I had no idea what it was about because the trailer doesn't tell you anything. It's just like little clips of just like acting and screaming, mm-hmm. and um, so it, it stuck with me, and I didn't know what to make of it. And then I was driving with my, my buddies and we saw on the marquee, it said the room at, at our local movie theater. And I said, why does that sound so familiar? Oh my God, it's that fucking film. <laughs> and we, and I was driving, so I was in charge and I just pulled the car over. I said, fuck it guys, we're, we're going to go and see what this movie's about. And Scott was very, uh, very intrigued because he's like, I think I saw a TV promo for that late night at like two in the morning. And he thought it was a fever dream. Um, David was hesitant. He's like, I don't want to pay for a bad movie. I'm like, come on, <laughs> come on. Well, they didn't have a choice. I'm like, look, you either come with me or you walk home. So we go to the, the box office 
And um, the ticket teller was telling us that <laughs> the ticket teller was telling us, whoa, that's crazy, <laughs> was telling us that um, uh, they're like, everybody walks out of this movie. You don't want to see it. It's really bad. Like, no, 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 no. We, we want to see it. She goes, are you sure? Like, yeah. And she pointed to a sign on that, that they taped on the wall that said no tickets will be refunded after the first 15 minutes of the room, <laughs> which we found out later. Tommy, Tommy put up because he was upset that people kept getting their money back and leaving. Right. Um, and we said, Ooh, that's, that's funny. All right. That's, that's intriguing. This warning sign. Okay. Yeah. We know we want the tickets. And she's like, are you seriously sure it's terrible? And we're like, well, I mean, and she pointed to another, uh, paper that they posted on the, on the wall that was an IMDB review. And the title was this film is like getting stabbed in the head. <laughs> and, and we read it and we're like, Oh my God, how can we say no? So we, we said, no, we, now you're just daring us to see it. So we, we paid for the ticket, and then we got a free soundtrack of the room and then a, a free, like, publicity booklet. So that alone was worth the eight bucks. It's <laughs> just like, what the fuck? We get a CD and a book? This is amazing. So we were so excited. And we get to the theater. It's completely empty. And we're just giddy because we have no idea what to expect. Because, like, there's been so much built up about it. We got free swag already. And uh, when the movie starts, it's got that beautiful little plucky piano by uh, Milad. Uh, oh, I can't pronounce his last name correctly. Melodic? Mavletic? Mm-hmm. Oh, forgive me, Milad. Um, so we were excited for the soundtrack. Like, well, hey, this isn't so bad. You see the shots of San Francisco. Like, hey, this is kind of nice. And then the door opens and Tommy walks in and goes, hi, babe. And we lost it <laughs> because who starts a movie that way? It was like a TV show. It was like a, it was like a sitcom. So we're just howling with laughter because we're dumbfounded because every scene keeps out doing the scene before. And we, we didn't think it would have the stamina to keep being this funny, but it, it, it went beyond our expectations. So before the movie was even over, I was on the phone calling friends saying, we are staying for this next screening immediately after you have to come. <laughs> this movie is genius. It's the worst film I've ever seen. It's heaven. Uh, so we snuck them in the back of the theater and we stayed for the next immediate screening. Uh, so it's probably like, you know, 10, 15 people there hmm. uh, that we snuck in and they were stunned and floored. And uh, we said, we're coming tomorrow and we're going to bring more people because, you know, some friends couldn't make it that night. So the next night we brought 30 people and then the last night we brought 100 people because we found out that it was the last screening the room was going to have. And we were sure it was going to disappear and no one was ever going to see it. So we wanted to make sure that as many of our friends could see it. And, um, yeah. And it, Tommy saw his ticket sales go up from zero to 800 bucks or something. And, and he's like, what's going on? And then he saw all of our fake reviews. <laughs> we kept creating accounts. We kept creating accounts on IMDb to keep building up the room. Like this movie's amazing. Five stars, <laughs> 10 stars. You know, and he saw our reviews and he started doing test screen. We really latched onto this film. We're obsessed about it because we, we just figured it was going to disappear because this was before YouTube. It was before Facebook. So we couldn't really, you know, yeah. mass share. It wasn't available online. So wow. we just did a grassroots thing and just tried to bring as many friends as we could to see it. So, so it's still fucking going. It's it, it, yeah, I mean, man, you have a lot to answer for. Um, so you. <laughs> actually... <laughs> I, I've done good things. I've 
I've atoned for my sins. I've made films. I've, I've, I've put in a lot of community service work for cinema, and you know, I've done good things. Yeah, I, I think, don't want to be known as just the patient zero on my tombstone. No, no. You, you, I, I, hopefully, you'll be known for more than that. But I think at this point in time, um, yeah. we, you are yeah. sadly patient zero. I'm in trouble. Which is fascinating. I mean, yeah, for, I'm in, in, trouble, in, man. in many respects, I find this fascinating that we can actually go back through and work out that you're the guy that's responsible. There's not often that you can pinpoint somebody who's right there at the start of a, a, an explosion culturally. Yeah. Well, you know, I was, my two buddies were also equally responsible. Scott Gardner and David Nelson were there. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, they were just as responsible to help spread the word. You know, if it was just me alone in a the theater, that would be kind of sad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I you know I was I saw the trailer and I was driving with my buddies and I literally was at my hand on the wheel. I was that guy. I could have said, "Man, let's not let's not go see this bad movie." But I I pulled over and said, "I don't care what you guys want to do. This is what we're doing." So I mean, <laughs> at, this movie at that point, I mean, your your fascination is that it, it that it's brilliant or that it's terrible, but you have to see it because it's so terrible. Why, well, my initial pitch to friends was this movie is so bad, it's genius. And they're like, what? I was like, the movie is so bad, it goes completely all the way around the spectrum of terrible and like loops back into genius. Because <laughs> it's so far off the deep end that it's, 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 it literally is like a cult. You get brainwashed and by the end of the movie, you're, you're in love with it. So my theory is that there's no main character. The, the main character of the room is actually the movie itself. Okay. So a character has to over a character has to has to overcome obstacles and you know it and it has a goal. The, the goal of the room is to be a good movie. The obstacles <laughs> are, are are bad writing, bad directing, bad acting, bad lighting, bad editing. Like everything is terrible. So you're just watching this film just stumble its way through, but it keeps going. And then by the end, you're just rooting for the film just to come to a satisfying climax, uh, or, you know, a resolution. And it does. You're like, you know, I'm not going to spoil it, but you know, for people who've seen it, the last two minutes, you're like, this is this is the only way this movie could end, and it's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it's genius. Um, Tommy Wiseau is a genius. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, we'll we'll come back to that statement, I think, in a bit. <laughs> um, yeah. So those early trailers that you saw as well, presumably they were not before Tommy had redesigned it as a comedy. No, uh, actually, the the quote um, "experiences quirky new black comedy" is uh, I think my IMDb quote he pulled from a review I wrote because I said it I said it was a dark comedy uh, or I said it was a black comedy. Can't uh-huh. remember, but yeah, whatever the quote was, I was like, "Hey, that's my fucking quote." But wow. he cuts out the audio of the narrator, so it goes, "Experience the room, a film with the passion of Tennessee Williams." Experience is quirky new dark comedy, and you're like, "What the fuck?" And that just makes you. <laughs> Well, I, think, I think in many respects that uh, is Alex. that is the tone of the room, though. I mean, it flits between these these weird um, sort of moods that do not fit at any point. So to have that kind of yeah. Tennessee Williams seriousness with with quirky comedy is it, it. I mean, that, that is actually a really good representation, I think, of of the film. Yeah, because comedy comedy works on on conflict and contradiction. You know, all all art is conflict, but comedy is contradiction. Because your brain's trying to, your brain's always trying to make sense of things. So when something doesn't compute, your brain kind of flips a, a, a trip, you know, a little haywire. And and comedy, good comedy, makes the conflict 
make kind of sense. So your brain has to laugh at the conflict because it doesn't make sense, but it makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if that makes sense. So watching the room, there's conflict going on within the scene and it, the conflict is just being disregarded that you can't help but laugh. Uh, it, it, there's things being brought up and then never, never addressed again. It's, it's astounding. The script keeps moving. Usually bad movies uh, are slow and are arduous. There's like a couple great moments. Like there's like five gems in that film that make it worthwhile. But the room keeps going. There's so much funny shit. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, the plot just just keeps moving. But but anything it brings up, it completely disregards and keeps going. It, so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's Dada. <laughs> it's surreal. It's amazing. But- well, I mean, but, but there's a thought, you know, is this in fact a Dada surrealist masterpiece? And then I, I, I could maybe just about buy that, but not, not as a kind of, um, as a great film. I, I, I have to be honest, I struggle with it a lot. Um, I wa- uh, as, you, as you should. I, I, I watched it. I, I deeply, I mean, I like talking about it, but I deeply regretted wasting my time on it. Um, it's amazing. I love it. But here we are. Here we are. Wasting your time on it. I know. I've, I, I mean, we've already wasted an hour of our time to this. We're going to waste another hour of our time to it. So in many ways, I mean, the film does kind of get under your skin, and it demands attention. I think. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a train wreck. You can't look away. It's like driving by a train wreck of a film, and you just can't help but look as you pass by, going, "What happened?" <laughs> And also, and also the, the, the wonder of the room is the intrigue it brings because you have so many questions walking out of it and it, it infects you and you, you want to know who is Tommy? What is this guy about? What, the actors have to tell me what happened. I, there's so many, like, how does this film get made? Mm. You know, because if you watch a bad movie and you just walk away being like, I don't even want to fucking think about that ever again. But you, you leave the room thinking, what the fuck? How did that happen? Mm. <laughs> yeah, Tommy in particular is just a a unique character. I think um, in the annals of film history, he will definitely be remembered as a as a one off. Probably, thank goodness. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> he's no Neil Breen. Sadly, Neil Breen does uh, bad movies, but he keeps making them. Like every other year, he's got a new film, and mm. they're they're great. They're great. I mean, they're bad, but they're great. <laughs> well, I think the difference is though that. Um, Tommy genuinely didn't set out to make a bad movie. I think a lot of these other directors yeah. do. Um, yeah, uh, you know, well, <laughs> myself included. When I made Dude Bro Party Massacre Three, it's like I want to make a B movie, but I want to have fun with it. Um, and it, it, it's a silly film. I'm very proud of it. Uh, but a lot of directors that go out to make a bad movie kind of miss the mark, and there's no heart to it. Heart hmm. is very important with any film. So watching the room, you can tell that Tommy really cared, is very sincere about it, and he put his soul into it. And that makes it an endearing film and you can sympathize and relate to him as a filmmaker. Mm. Like this guy tried to make a movie and failed, but he still made a movie, which is a lot more than a lot of other people can say in in the film world. So uh, I like to call the room a refrigerator film when you know a kid gives you their drawing and it's terrible but you're like oh but i'm just gonna put this on the fridge and just so everyone can see it like good job you're so cute you know i i adore the room i think it's i think it's a a work of art you know i don't yeah when i say it's a great movie i don't mean that in the sense of 
Citizen Kane or The Apartment or Rashomon. It's it's like it's a unique a unique experience. It definitely is that. Um, I mean, I guess why it works uh, for a lot of people as a comedy is because he plays it straight as well, because he is trying to make a serious film, and comedy is always better when it's, or mostly always better when it's played not for the laugh. Yeah. It's when people are trying to be funny, that's when it's usually not funny. So you see Tommy do some um, some of this comedy when he did The Neighbors, and it's just painful because he's, he's trying really hard to be funny, and it's just not working. Mm. <laughs> so after uh, after those initial couple of weeks and, and kind of those early screenings and it disappeared, what happened then? I mean, do you remember what was your early relationship with like after oh, those yeah. IMDb reviews? <laughs> so uh, he started, a lot of friends missed out on those first uh, initial screenings and they were very upset because we would just quote it all the time and talk about it and laugh about it and jealous, you know, like, guys, shut up. I haven't seen it. You know, I need to see this film. And then we got, uh, we kept pestering Tommy and emailing him, trying to get DVDs or something. And then he did these test screenings in this business center in Beverly Hills, like in an office building. Um, there was a, a little screening room. So we found out that there was a free test screening. We didn't even know it was a test screening, just a free screening. So we get there, we bring our friends, uh, and uh, we realize Tommy's in the background watching us, and we kind of freak out. Because, you know, holy shit, there he is. It's the man himself. And we're scared to laugh because we don't <laughs> want Tommy to kill us. Um, but, of course, we just still giggling and, and trying to cover our, our laughter. And after that, that screening, we get out, and then there's a camera in our face, and we're being interviewed. What do you think of the room? What do you like about the room? And we, it dawned on us, like, oh, my God, it's a testing. Tommy's trying to figure out what the fuck is going on. Why did I start to make a little bit of money? All these reviews like, oh, it's brilliant, it's hilarious, it's the best movie ever made. <laughs> and then he started doing uh, bigger screenings because he couldn't fit us all in, the, in that little theater anymore. Uh-huh. Um, so he started doing a couple, a couple free screenings at like 10 o'clock in Hollywood uh, once a month. And we would go and they were free. And then on the third screening, he started charging <laughs> <laughs> and, and it, we're like, damn it, it's not free anymore. But it was, it was a brilliant marketing strategy because it was like a heroin addict, you know. He's like, give you a, give you a couple free hits for free, you know. And then, oh, you got to pay. We were hooked. So then he started doing monthly screenings, and we just kept bringing more people because we didn't, we wanted to keep the momentum going. And and more of our friends, like our fringe friends and friends of friends, wanted to know what the fuck we were quoting and and laughing about. And um, and then it just slowly started spreading, and we were excited that a, a new groups of people we don't even know showed up, and we were like, "Who's that? Do you know who those people are? Oh my God, those are those are random people! Oh wow!" <laughs> and then it got to the point in and in, uh, in 2008 when Clark Collis from Entertainment Weekly wrote this really long, extensive article, and um, it came out, and the room went from being a one screen theater that kind of would sell out once in a while to uh, him renting five theaters and all of them selling out simultaneously. And I'm not talking like theaters across the, the city. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about one movie theater venue and he rented out five screens Wow! and all of them sold out. And the line was literally around the block and people were walking by like, what is this line for? And everyone's like, Oh, it's for the room. It's the worst movie I've ever made. And at that point, it was over. It was just like, okay, the movie is now a, a self-sustaining machine, and we kind of we were able to kind of take a break and 
not have to worry about going to screenings to keep it going. Wow. I mean, it, yeah, it's not. It we we really latched on and obsessed about it. <laughs> did you, did you manage to come off of it like 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 a, a heroin addict? Did you manage to walk away at any point, or has it always been there niggling at you? Uh, was I able to walk away from it? Yeah. At some point, were yeah, you able to uh, stop, yeah, stop going to the screenings? <laughs> yeah, I was. Like my life got in the way, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to go to a midnight screen. And the movie wouldn't start until like one, because Tommy would be there, and the Q and A would go on forever. And I'm like, ah, I've seen it a bunch of times. The bucket, you know. Uh, but it is fun to go to see what audi- new things audience members bring to it, because it, it's still very young and um, fluid. So there are some callbacks and things that we started in that first initial screening that are still being done today by complete strangers, which is insane to me. Uh-huh. A lot of jokes that I came up, I came up with and my friends came up with are still being done. And that, that as a comedian and a writer, that's probably one of my, you know, cherished, you know, most proud moments. So like, we, uh, we were, yeah, we were actually funny. We were actually talking about that last week as well. Um, this whole idea of these interactive screenings of, of the room that seem to have grown up and I'd sort of, um, paralleled it to the screenings of Rocky Horror. Where you have yeah, that's of... exactly what we were trying to do. So that was a deliberate decision. And, uh, on the... Yes. Uh, for the last screening and, and, and the initial run in 2003 in July, uh, when we thought four times in three nights, um, the, uh, the last large group of our friends that were very hesitant to come, they're like, well, I don't want to pay to see a bad movie. I'm like, oh, we're going to make it worth your while. So we said, let's Rocky Horror this. Let's, let's bring props. Let's dress up. And we did that mainly for our friends who weren't really into bad camp cinema. Uh-huh. So we're like, let's make this a big thing. Because we we pretty much owned that theater. Nobody else was in there except for our friends. So we brought spoons. We brought footballs. We dressed up. And it was ridiculous. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. It was um, fucking great. So, um, obviously, this kind of uh, Tommy has Tommy's experiences and his his film had an influence on you in terms of your own work. Oh, absolutely! Uh, writing writing a big big deal. Um, you know, when I write a scene, I never have. You always, a rule of thumb is write write a scene or edit a scene. Uh, what's the latest you can come into a scene and what's the earliest you can leave a scene with it still making sense, you know, so you're cutting out the entrances and exits. Mm-hmm. So at starting a movie saying, Oh, hi, babe, you know, who, who walks in and says, Oh, Hey, Oh, hi. You know, like you don't need all these entrances and exits. You can just jump right out of a scene or jump right into a scene. Um, and there are a lot of movie. my writing partner and I, uh, quoted a lot when we write, you know, uh, kind of, using it as a, as a, as a measuring device of things to do and not do. Um, it's, it gets pretty complicated. I can't go into specifics, but yes, it has had a profound impact on my work. Like, um, what would Tommy do? And then don't, <laughs> and then don't do that. <laughs> so there's a, there's a positive last night of that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, do Brew Party Massacre three, which uh, was your yay, yeah, yeah. I did Brian film. That's how we met. Was over at Do Brew Party Massacre three um, when you were here in Belfast for it, and uh, you know it's amazing. A, it's a, a brilliant film, um, but it's 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 also in that thank you loosely in that camp of so bad it's good. I mean it's it, but it's a deliberately 
deliberately made as a sort of bad movie. That's that's fair to yeah, say, isn't it? Yeah. Movie. Well, it's a, it's it's our yeah oh yeah no it's, it's our love letter to '80s slasher films, B movies of uh-huh. the '80s, um, and we degraded it. We ran it through a VCR, and it's four by three, so it looks like it's this cheap videotape you probably would have found in a Goodwill or a thrift store. Um, and yeah, but we, we made it with level and we wanted it just to be funny, like cramming it with jokes. So there, 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 there are, there are probably a fistful of bad, bad cinema jokes that are just for the filmmakers. Um, but we don't rely on them too much, you know, like that's not what the whole comedy of dude, bro party Mesca three is, is, is just bad filmmaking jokes and bad acting jokes. Uh, we were conscious that we have to put in actual jokes <laughs> because, you know, we have we have a whole bunch of jokes for the filmmakers. But we have to have jokes just for the general audience. Uh-huh. But, I mean, uh, but yeah, that. So so bringing it back again to, to sort of the room, um, you did hire Greg Zestero for this as well. I'm assuming that was deliberate. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, Greg became a good friend of mine uh, because of my relationship with the screenings. Like I met him at some screenings, and uh, I think one of the earliest moments when uh, we actually started becoming friends as I ran into him in Las Vegas and you know, I'm 21, I'm wasted <laughs> walking around Vegas and some, somebody taps me on the shoulder and goes, Hey, hey you're, you're Michael. You're, you're the, the room, huh? And I turn around, I'm like, who is this guy? And then he smiles and it's that like, you know, that million dollar Greg Cicero smile. I'm like, Oh my God, it's Greg Cicero. <laughs> And, um, yeah, and he was telling me how grateful he was and, and happy and excited for what we were doing. And he's like, people at Warner Brothers know about the room. And this is in 2004 uh-huh. five. And, and I was shocked. But, yeah, we became friends after that. I'd see him every once in a while. I helped him out on, um, on his book. Um, I helped him out um, film a mini documentary, a featurette that he shows on his book tour. Um, that has all this rare room footage and um, behind the scenes footage that he gave me that I edited together in a 35 minute um, mini doc. And uh, yeah. And when we were doing dude, bro, uh, I was like, Oh man, I'd love to have Greg in this. Cause he's, it's about frat life. And it's always funny to us that there's one guy in the frat that is like way more handsome and older than everybody <laughs> else in the frat. So we're like, that's it, Greg. He's only like, you know, five years older than us. And he looks far more attractive than any of us. And so we just thought it'd be funny just to have, like, you know, this hunk man in the frat. And he was the nicest fucking guy. He had a great time. So fucking cool. He's just the nicest guy. Can't sing his praises enough. Greg's a great guy. A couple of people were asking, like, hey, we should get Tommy in the movie. And I said, absolutely not. <laughs> because I know that he would I know that he would take over the set and he would probably be difficult to work with. So uh-huh. and we were on such a tight, low budget. We were on such a tight, low budget that we didn't have time to you know deal with a prima donna you have met tommy now as well oh several times yeah yeah uh, i don't know if he likes me it's kind of a love hate sometimes he loves me sometimes he's like really cold to me uh i guess it just depends on his mood uh but on one screening early on he goes oh hey michael it's michael it's, this is the guy guys this is the guy who started it all i'm like oh shit thanks tommy um and then the other time i saw him at uh the best best theme screening and he just literally goes oh hi and just walked away <laughs> <laughs> gosh yeah so I guess depending on his mood he loves me or he hates me I was excited to see him at the Golden Globes that made me really happy <laughs> um, 
I mean, what a what a dream for him. That's so great. I, I he made a movie and he got to go to the Golden Globes. It's the American dream. I I can still see him hitting the Oscars yet. <laughs> I I hope so. I really do. I don't know. I really hope. I don't know if Franco will get the nomination, but it'd be really nice if he did. Because I just want Tommy there. I just want Tommy and Greg to walk the red carpet. <laughs> uh, it's a, a weird kind of situation for for two men who made this terrible, terrible film to get all the way to the Oscars. Well, technically, technically, only uh, only Tommy made the terrible movie. Greg was just there to help him get through it and act in it. Yeah, he's he's part of it. Yeah. <laughs> You know, yeah. uh, filmmaking well, he, is a collaborative process. We both do it. Yeah, yeah. But having having Greg by his side to help him out, you know, to encourage him to keep going, like that's because a lot of the times that's all you need to make a movie. You just need the encouragement of people around you. Like, yes, we are going to do this, and we're going to make it happen. Yeah. You know, it's really hard. It's it's almost impossible to just have one person be the driving force behind a movie because, you know, it's it's hard to maintain that passion and confidence. Mm-hmm. So you need to have a team that's just going to help you do it. Also, it really helps if you have if you have a lot of money to pay people. <laughs> yeah, which, which is a whole other mystery entirely. <laughs> um, yeah, who knows? Yeah. No one. <laughs> n- n- <laughs> oh yeah. Um, so I mean, you you work with Greg a little bit on his his book, The Disaster Artist, and for this little documentary thing as well. Um, how's your relationship been with the room in the last couple of years? Where has it taken you? Um my relationship with the room is, is just kind of like a fun, uh, sweet little pet project that went out of control. So, you know, I love it. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that it went this far. I'm, I'm shocked it went this far. Like is this whole inside joke between me and my friends just like spiraled out of control around the world. Um, yeah, I love it. I haven't been to a screening in oh, an actual live screening in a while. I've been, to a lot of universities to do guest lectures on the room and uh, guest heckling because I I talk about why the room is actually a perfect film. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's a lot of layers to it. Like, think about it this way. So, for example, when you write a script, you want you want your if you want your protagonist to be likable, they have this what they call pat the dog moment where it's like you know symbolically. You, you you do something where the character uh, does something really nice mm-hmm. that everyone can relate to and go, oh, they did that. I like that. Therefore, I like that character. It's mm-hmm. like a little, you know, one of the many little cheats. Uh, so Tommy literally has a pat the dog moment where he pats the dog. <laughs> and you're like, oh, my God. Because the whole scene, the whole movie, everyone keeps talking about Johnny's such a great guy. Everybody likes Johnny. And so you're constantly being told that Johnny is a great guy. And everybody likes him. And then you have a literal pat the dog moment. Um, and, and my, and my other favorite is, um, uh, they talk about how they've been in a relationship for five years. And at the end of the movie, it's seven years relationship. <laughs> I put up with you for seven years. You know, did we just skip two years? And then it dawned on me. There's a jump cut that happens in two years. It's where Lisa is getting ready for Johnny's party. I'm getting ready for Johnny's party tonight, his birthday party. And I'll see you at the party tonight. Cut to nighttime. Cut to daytime. And Lisa's still getting ready for Johnny. And she's over. So like, I got to get ready for Johnny's party tonight. I'm just over it. <laughs> and then I'm like, that's it. They just jumped two years. 
it's it's amazing. They never got married. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. You, you know, if I I reckon if I kept on talking about this film, you'd actually have me persuaded that it was actually a good film. And I don't know. If it's, I can... it's, it, it's 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 when you have two negatives, it makes a positive. <laughs> that movie is, that movie definitely has a, a a thousand negatives, but it's an even number, so it cancels itself out. <laughs> it, it's it's definitely a conversation starter and a friendship maker or breaker. I think. Um. Yeah, I've met a lot of people that said they met their girlfriend or their husband at, at screenings, which I love. It's like, oh yeah, we we went to a room screening, we bonded over it. And I'm like, that makes me so happy. It's like Tommy bringing people together, you know. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, and it is, it is a, te- it is a tester. It's like if you can handle this, then like, all right, we can continue dating. <laughs> I don't disagree with that at all. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, yeah. I, d- I don't want to not talk about you and your own work. So, I mean, is there anything you've got coming up, or, or what can people find out about you? Because oh yeah, actually. I um so I do five second films. Uh, we actually just shot a couple more. This is fun. We used to do it every day for six years, uh, two thousand films, and then we did the feature film Zebra Party Massacre three, and we took a break from YouTube, and we actually just shot a couple that'll be coming out like once a week, which will be fun uh, on five second films dot com and our YouTube channel. Uh, but I just got a cartoon show that came out called The Blubbers. It's about the town in the belly of a whale. Okay. It's got like Jonah, Geppetto, Nemo. Uh, Geppetto has a, Pinocchio is a piece of wood that doesn't talk, and he thinks it's a real boy. Uh, it's by Cyanide and Happiness, those uh, cartoonists. Um, sadly, it's not available outside the U.S. It's on Go90.com, uh, but I don't know. You can probably find a way to get around it. The internet <laughs> is a savvy place. Uh, yeah, and and everyone is at Five SF is writing. You know, we're just trying to figure out what's the next feature. So everyone's just kind of tinkering around and hustling in Hollywood. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, thing, yeah, we got got a lot of stuff coming in the pipeline. We'll see how long it takes to, you know, get it out of that constipated pop pipeline. Well, <laughs> I was you, always trying to plug it up. Well, well, you know, you just look at Tommy and Tommy's rise to to success. I mean, it's taken a long time, but he's got there. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it sort of says oh, a yeah, lot. Oh yeah, I, b- I believe it. Yeah, it says a lot I for everybody. Dude, bro is going to be. Dude, bro will be probably in like fifteen years. It's going to hit this stride, this resurgence of. <laughs> You know, maybe maybe like the world will end from Donald Trump, and then they'll find it in the future, and it'll be like this archive, and they'll think it's a real <laughs> '80s film. I don't know. It'll be radio radioactive radioactive VHS tape. It, it, it's definitely got a potential for longevity, so I hope it does continue to find an audience as well. Um, and I hope we do get to see more stuff from you because I, I enjoyed that. Thanks, man. Yeah, and you can find Dubro Party Massacre Three on. Online at dubrofpartymassacre3.com or dbpn3.com. <laughs> available for da- available for download. Nicely plugged, <laughs> Michael. Yeah, I, I I don't. A lot. Uh, that, that that's been great. I mean, it, for me, it's been a real kind of privilege to actually be able to chat to somebody who was there at the start and to get a, a different perspective on that origin and maybe why it kind of has become the thing that has become. This, this sort of beast. Yeah, it's weird. Thank you for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. It's a, I can't believe it's still going. <laughs> this movie is still going. <laughs> so huge thanks to Michael for joining us today. 
Uh, you can find out more about Michael's work at 5secondfilms.com and dudebropartymassacre3.com. That's a great film. I highly recommend you check it out. Now, thank you very much for listening to us. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us through all your favourite podcast channels, uh, including iTunes. Just search for Tinny Punked. Um, and you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just, again, search for Cine Punked. And we also have our website, www.cinepunked.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again very, very soon.